When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, we discuss how feelings and language can help with leaving, support, understanding, and healing abuse. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and today we are going to be discussing, you know, feelings. This is going to be an episode where we're going to discuss a lot of feelings, and we're going to discuss metaphors and analogies and storytelling as a whole as a way to, you know, really describe your experience to yourself to understand the feelings of everything that's going on inside you as well as being able to translate it to other people in the most effective way as possible so they listen to everything that you have to say and to me it is really important to do an episode like this about language as a whole when it comes to feelings and metaphors and analogies because we want to create movement inside you so you understand exactly what is going on with you and we want to create movement outside of the relationship as well so we want you know movement in the sense of being able to get support being able to tell your story in a better way can help you get more support if you're able to translate it well in the most effective way as possible. And describing your feelings the best as possible is part of that. Metaphors can be a part of that as well in analogies too. So that's what this episode is going to be about. When we're discussing relationships with narcissistic abuse, with domestic abuse, domestic violence, coercive control, you know, a lot of the times you're in in flight mode, you're in fight mode, you're in freeze mode, you're in, you're in fawn mode, and when we're discussing language, uh, you know, language kind of activates your frontal lobes. It moves you out of the limbic system and into your cognitive system where decision-making is possible and being able to think more clearly can come back online. So, you know, discussing language today to me is a big thing for everyone. It's going to create movement in a bunch of different ways, whether you're still in the relationship or you're outside the relationship. You know, I think this episode is going to be helpful for a lot of people. And before we begin, if you want to be a guest on our Survivor Story episodes, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. And there you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And please do send it in the format that we ask for. 
So today we're going to discuss metaphors, analogies, and feelings, emotions, and we're going to give you lots of examples. Some of the examples will be related exactly to abuse. Some of them will be related to uh, quotes that we found from uh, fiction and not related to abuse, just to kind of give you a little bit of an example outside of the abuse realm. So I'm going to start off here with metaphors. So what is a metaphor? So a metaphor serves as a figure of speech, and it is a word or a phrase, and it is used not literally, but as a representation for a vivid effect. So in other words, the word or phrase denotes an object to suggest a similarity that is not literal. So metaphors bring color to your story and the combination of the economy of words and vivid imagery creates an emotional connection with whoever is listening. And you'll find metaphors everywhere from everyday speech to to literature. And in literature, it sounds something like, you know, the city. It was a mashup of Sedona and Blade Runner. And this metaphor brings to mind the red rocks of Sedona combined with the super modern architecture depicted in the film Blade Runner. And it really gives you an instant visual impression. You know, this metaphor suggests that the city looks like a red rock desert backdrop and a city of almost surreal modern buildings are are in it covered in, in neon. So that's the idea of of a metaphor. And why do we use these metaphors? You know, metaphors create an immediate connection with whoever is listening by just generating this visual image. You know, this image really sparks a response to something that is familiar to whoever is listening. And it leads them in a new way of understanding, you know, what the object is. So, so when we're talking about survivor stories and, and your story of what you're dealing with, if you're able to use imagery like this, whoever is listening is able to, you know, feel the emotion of it, understand exactly where you are or what you're discussing, and really imagine the world in which you are in very, very, very quickly, which helps them connect to you and what is going on in a different way that wasn't happening before. So I'm going to give you examples of metaphors here and relate them with abuse as, as well. So the first one I'm going to give you is when a metaphor really takes a concept and, you know, compresses it into a very, very easily understood image. So here's one that discusses memories when it comes to trauma. So it will be like, my traumatic memories are bullets. Some whiz by and only spook you. Others tear you open and leave you in pieces. Uh, Other types of Uh, metaphors can create maybe a sense of familiarity, you know, so that they understand. It's like a story that they can understand. So one can be, you know, the abuser stormed into the home like a bull chasing 33 red flags. So in this sense, they understand that, you know, the abuser is coming into the house and the way that they're coming in is like, uh, you know, we all know about the running of the bulls or just the bulls in general and that they don't like red or they charge against red and that, you know, this is a 
ball coming straight forward. You know, they can really understand that visual picture of who you're dealing with when, you know, you, you combine them coming into a room and coming into a home with this ball coming straight for you and not just one red flag, like 33. So they're extra angry. So another one can be to trigger emotions, a metaphor to trigger emotions. And one that would trigger emotions might sound something like, the abuser looked upon me as if I was nothing more than a scab. A scab is something you have to put up with until the time comes when you can pick it off and flick it away. And then another way to use a metaphor is to kind of illustrate a worldview. You know, you get a good sense of the worldview of the abuser and people can like really instantly understand how you or they see the world and they understand your personality or the abuser's personality through you know this metaphor through this image that you use so you can say something like you know the abuser was twitter incarnate a thirst for rage insensitive to suffering so those were the four ways that you could really use uh, metaphors, the different types of ways that you can, can use them, and that can help translate better stories to whoever is listening to your story or a better way for you to you know, really describe it to yourself so you can get these feelings, so you can get these images, so you can understand your, your story, story better, uh, which can hopefully help uh, create a movement with inside you to, to make some changes. So up next, we have analogy. So what is an analogy? An analogy works by creating a logical argument by comparing two things to make a point. And an analogy uses two usually very unlike things and draws a conclusion from that direct comparison. And we've done an episode before about trauma bonds and slot machines before, where I use slot machines in, as an example of the addiction of a trauma bond. And that was a whole episode dedicated to that. And I'll put that in the show, show notes if you want to hear it. So why use analogy? So an analogy uses the familiar to help someone understand the unfamiliar. So using familiar references helps whoever is listening to connect with what you are talking about. You know, it sharpens their focus and it deepens their understanding. And an analogy speeds up comprehension of your point. And this can be a few few words or, or, or a lot of words, but, you know, you're trying to make this logical point rather than leading anyone through a very, very long explanation. And analogies work to clarify a point, so to illustrate a difficult point with more of a concise explanation. And I'm just going to give you right now a couple of different explanations explanations about, you know, the mechanics of effective breathing while running. And you'll see which one you prefer. One will be done with an analogy and one will be like a straight explanation of, you know, the mechanics of effective breathing. So the first one is the mechanics of effective breathing. And this is, you know, effort and energy transmission in running mechanics. The required effort demanded by your chosen terrain determines the speed of your heartbeat, which in turn determines your breath patterns and required oxygen intake. Overstepping the effort threshold results in tiring of your muscles and breathing too fast results in wasted energy. Finding a good conversion pattern of air intake to fuel transportation and consumption is essential. So that's the first one, no analogy. Difficult to listen to if, if 
if it, you're trying to be honest, especially if you're not interested in the subject at all. And then the second one is explaining everything of how uh, mechanics are run in energy transmission through your body as a car. Your muscles are an engine. The heart is your fuel pump. Your lungs are your intake. Your breath is the gearbox. Choose the second gear when running uphill, two steps per inhale, and the fourth gear as a motor brake when running downhill, four steps per inhale. Use the third gear on flat ground. So that is a way to understand you know the mechanics of you know energy transmission and, and and running and the running mechanics in an easier way through analogy while using your body as the example of being the car you know it's relevant because we want people to understand what we are trying to say when it comes to metaphors and when it comes to analogies you know, realizing that the way something is told to you or to yourself really has a direct impact on how you understand things, how someone who's listening to you might understand things. And, you know, the the best way, the most effective way that we can tell stories to ourselves and to other people, you know, the better for for both of you, both of us, all of us. You know, the more insight you can give other people and to yourself, the more it can unlock inside of them, inside of you, the more help, the more movement can be created. It's validating and it can really help you get others, uh, help from others, you know, support from friends, family, advocates, lawyers, social services, you know, court translating these things to in, in court or, or in other ways is also beneficial. So that is analogies and metaphors. So now we are going to discuss feelings and feelings are a hard thing to locate in you, in your body. You know, a lot of us could be logical thinkers and during abuse, sometimes we shut off our emotions, our feelings, or we just don't recognize that they're there. You still might be feeling them, but it's hard to get into touch with exactly what is going on because of the abuse And in the aftermath, you know, being able to describe your feelings in a way to yourself and to other people can help out a lot when it comes to telling your story, to get help, to really validate yourself, to understand fully what's been going on inside of you. could be healing in in so many ways as well. So we're going to go through a bunch of different feelings uh, categories. We're going to give three examples of each. We're going to discuss feeling words, but here we're going to start off right now with, you know, words to describe body sensations. So I'm just going to go down a list here as quickly as possible of body sensation words. Achy, airy, blocked, breathless, bruised, burning, buzzy, clammy, clenched, cold, constricted, contained, contracted, dizzy, drained, dull, electric, empty, expanded, flowing, fluid, fluttery, frozen, full, gentle, hard, heavy, hollow, hot, icy, itchy, jumpy, knotted, light, loose, nauseous, numb, pain, pounding, prickly, pulsing, queasy, Radiating, relaxed, releasing, rigid, sensitive, settled, shaky, shivery, slow, smooth, soft, sore, spacey, spacious, sparkly, stiff, still, suffocated, sweaty, tender, tense, 
throbbing, tight, tingling, trembly, twitchy, vibrating, warm, wobbly, wooden. So those are a bunch of body sensations. They're not all of the body sensations, but those are a bunch of different body sensations. And those words of those body sensations can also help when it comes to, you know, describing your feelings or what you've gone through. You know, those extra added words when talking to people add to, you know, the understanding for them of what you've gone through, what you're going through, as well as translating that to yourself when you're discussing body sensations. Adding those extra things in there, you know, can really help you understand or locate certain things to create better language, you know, to and when you're creating better language, it helps translate these things to yourself better, you know, for you to understand, for others to understand and to really Uh, start creating movement and hopefully healing in the long term as well. So we're going to go through six different types of feelings and then like a lot of the sub feelings when it comes to those main categories. And, And the feeling categories are surprised. And the second one is going to be bad, aka, you know, tired, stressed. And then the third one is fearful. And the fourth one is angry. Uh, The fifth one is disgust or shame. And the sixth one is sad or sad or hurt. So for surprised, some of the language that goes under surprised can be startled, confused, doubt, shocked, dismayed perplexed, you know, these are feeling words, apprehensive, concerned, dissatisfied, disturbed, grouchy, hesitant, inhibited, perplexed, questioning, rejecting, reluctant, shocked, skeptical, suspicious, ungrounded, unsure, worried. So all of these words, all of these feeling words can be somewhere underneath surprised, you know, in the confusion, the doubt, and the startled aspect of things. So I'm now going to read you three different, you know, quotes from survivors. And these quotes are going to be, some can be a little bit longer than others, and they'll all have different kind of language in here when it comes to surprised. And there could be as well in some of these things, there could be metaphors or analogies. And um, here we go. I was always on high alert for something to snap and then feeling extra shocked when the thing you didn't expect to be a problem became a problem. I felt like I was on shaky ground, like standing on a moving truck and not knowing which way the driver was going to turn and praying for dear life that I didn't get thrown off going 100 miles an hour. But then there were the times when the car you know, just went in a straight line going under the speed limit and you'd get some temporary relief in, in enjoying the ride here and there too. You just never knew. So this is, you know, the surprise, the unpredictability, you know, understanding here someone is going to get a story where they're understanding, you know, how shocked that you might be feeling or that you're always going to be hyper vigilant. And then also sometimes you never knew what you were going to get. And there were good times as well in there. You know, they're using the truck here um, to, uh, to make you understand that sometimes the truck can go really fast, but then sometimes, you know, the truck could have a real nice ride. So that's one way here. Someone is trying to 
describe their story to themselves and to someone else and using feelings language in there. Uh, they're using um, emotions. They're using descriptive words, body sensations, as well as you know a metaphor in, in there as well. And another one under surprise is, I found myself listening to the tone of his voice or just the way he walked in the door. I could tell when he was angry and I do all these mental gymnastics to try and keep him from getting angrier. It never worked. He slowly started saying meaner and meaner things. He'd say things to get a rise out of me. And the times I did react, I always felt awful and apologized immediately. I doubted everything about myself. It got so bad that I could hardly shop at a grocery store. I'd sit in front of something I didn't even need, trying to decide if I I should buy it or not for 10 to 15 minutes. I was hesitant about everything, even shopping. I had a panic attack looking at boxed mac and cheese. I couldn't remember if I needed it. And there were just so many options and I just started sweating and having, I was having a hard time breathing. I felt guilty for shopping, guilty for not doing his chores and guilty for just existing. He made me feel awful about my past and I really believe that I was at fault for all of our problems. So this one with surprise here is about, the reason I chose this one was it was about doubt. You know, there was a lot of doubt that was going on and, you know, this doubt started to create hesitancy in them and it started to create like a panic attack and you get this feeling, you know, that you're there with them while they're doing this shopping and you feel the other feelings that are going on with them while these things are happening. You know, there's guilt going on, you know, the body sensations, there's sweating that's happening, a hard time breathing. You really get a sense that you're there with the person when you're using these descriptive words and it helps someone, it helps translate to someone what you're actually going through. And, you know, the doubt that you're having, just even shopping and and, and what that causes inside you. And I can think that can be really effective when you're telling this story to yourself and to other people to make them understand, like, really, the depths of, you know, the trauma that you've been under and are going through at the hands of, of your abuser. And then the last one we have here is... The soothe part of the abuse cycle confused me and fed the narrative even further. The person who had just pinned me down and was doing horrible things to me is now suddenly holding me, drying my tears and telling me, we'll make it through together because we're soulmates. Talk about an absolute crazy making experience. And when it happens to you hundreds upon hundreds of times, you know, it's perplexing to think that your brain and body become addicted to this person and become fully dependent on the abuser to regulate yourself. I would literally crave him. I felt like I needed him and couldn't live without him. It's so confusing. And that addiction makes you feel like your soul is ripped in half when you try to leave. And it is agonizing and unbearable. And it's just this massive soul pain. So again here, you're getting a lot of descriptive words. You're getting feelings in here. It's describing this confusion as a whole. And, you know, you're getting confusing words. The word perplexed is in there. And then also, you know, you're getting an understanding of why it's so confusing with the addiction of everything and the craving. You know, you're really getting a full experience of someone who's explaining why it's confusing. You know, you're seeing this 
two sides to what's going on and how this addiction is is there, how it's confusing, and then the feelings of, you know, agonizing, you know, feeling ripped in half. Um, you know, you're getting a real good good picture of what is actually going on, which is, is helping you understand the situation and other people. And up next, we have uh, the category which is called bad, and this is stressed or tired. So under bad, we have stressed, tired, indifferent, apathetic, pressured, rushed, overwhelmed, out of control, sleepy, anxious, burned out, cranky, depleted, edgy, exhausted, frazzled, overwhelmed, rattled, rejecting, restless, shaken, tight, weary, worn out, drained. You know, these are all feelings. These are all feelings that you can use to describe, you know, being stressed out, being tired, you know, these really bad feelings that are going on inside you. So the first one we have here as an example is, you know, you feel overwhelmed and then drained, like they've sucked the life out of you. And you were just worn out, a shell of a person just going through the motions of daily life. You feel like you can't talk or be yourself anymore because that will cause them to lash out at you. If they see that you're upset due to something they did, they'll probably attack you for that too. There's no winning. And then another one, when it really comes to to the stress of everything, the most overarching feeling is the feeling of walking on eggshells. You can't ever truly relax. They might throw a fit over the fact that the dishes were washed wrong, you bought the wrong brand of bacon, you talk to someone in your life that they hate, or God forbid that you try to set a boundary. So you end up having to constantly think of every little action you take and how that might set them off. And you're always waiting for an explosion that even any nice time together just feels like a calm before the storm. If I could only sum it up in one word, I would use stressful. It's constant drama, the constant walking on eggshells. You aren't able to be yourself in your own home. And if you can't do that at home, where can you? So again, here is like a really good, you know, descriptive words that are being used to understand that they are, they're stressed. You're understanding the situation. You're understanding, you know, how the abuser might explode. You know, you're getting this anger um, description of who the abuser is through this as well. And you're getting a really good sense of, you know, what you are dealing with and for other people you're translating what you're dealing with as well and using those words those descriptive words can can really really help get support going going forward so up next we have fearful and under fearful some of the feelings here are scared anxious insecure weak rejected threatened helpless frightened overwhelmed worried inadequate inferior worthless insignificant excluded, persecuted, nervous, exposed, hopeless, apprehensive, frightened, hesitant, paralyzed, terrified, and powerless. So here is an example uh, for the feeling of fearful. You always feel alone even though someone's right there watching over your shoulder. And they weren't doing it to make sure that I was safe. They made sure I wasn't doing anything they disapproved of. I knew saying no would make it worse. Everything about me felt constricted, like I wasn't allowed to breathe. It was paralyzing and I felt powerless to do anything about it. 
So right here, you're getting a lot of feeling words. Um, you're getting, you know, constricted, paralyzing, powerless. Constricted is how you're actually, you know, the the actual body sensation, you know, not being allowed to breathe. You know, it's a body kind of sensation that people are getting this visual of what you're dealing with in, the, in, these, in these feeling words. They're understanding how, how weak, you know, you might be feeling in, in the situation, how scared you are. So another quote is, it felt like I was in one of those nightmares where you try screaming, but nothing comes out. Where you try to run as fast as you can, but your feet won't move. And simultaneously watching the person you thought was your soulmate transforming before your eyes into the very thing that is killing you. I'm going to use a weird analogy, but there are fitness test colleges and elite sports teams use on their athletes where they aren't in control of the treadmill and the treadmill rapidly changes in speeds and inclines and the athlete fights for their life trying to keep up. You know, to me, you know, that's when I'm anxious, you know, to make sure that my schedule is free to avoid any blow ups, anxious about having external responsibilities that you need to tend to, but can't because it sets off jealousy or rage, anxious about everything. So here you, you know, you get this, you know, fearful, anxious story. And there's an analogy in here as well. And you're understanding, you know, the nightmare of everything. And this, you know, really helps create like a picture, a visual picture of, of what they are dealing with. And it really kind of creates this concise explanation as well when they're throwing in the parallel of the stress and the things that are thrown at you that are out of your control, like this ramp that is moving in and increasing on this incline. It is out of your control. And as that moves up, it's you know, kind of showing you at the same time when it comes to the stress that you're under that's starting to, to add up. And it comes to, you know, the comparison of that stress, you know, in the relationship and the abuse demands and the abuse to the, the abuse demands that are continuously going on this incline, adding more stress that, that you can't control. And the third one we have here uh, for fearful is it is like always being scared, but not just scared that they might hit you. Scared you will say the wrong thing. Think the wrong thing. You can't actually rest because you're always on high alert. You can never relax. Breathing sometimes feels like it will get you into trouble. So your muscles are always bound up. Try sleeping like that. Oh my God. You start second guessing your own mind, making you feel crazy as hell. You feel helpless. So again, here we have, you know, a lot of feeling words. We have body sensations that are going on. And it's just, you know, how someone here is feeling scared. And there's doubt also involved in, in this one as well. But this one is like how they're scared, how they're feeling helpless, even, you know, when they're sleeping. And that's a pretty effective way of, of telling a story that you're not just scared, you know, while the day is going on and your interactions with them, you know, you're even scared here to, to sleep. And the idea that your breathing might get you into trouble of how you're trying to sleep, you know, so you're feeling constricted in the place that you're supposed to really get your most relaxation and to be able to recharge. 
And that's effective way of telling your story to yourself and, and to other people for them to really understand the depths of your fear here and how helpless that is, you know, that you can't even feel that you have the right to, to breathe while, while trying to sleep. So up next, we have angry. And under angry, you know, some of the feelings we have is let down, humiliated, bitter, mad, aggressive, frustrated, distant, critical, betrayed, resentful, disrespected, ridiculed, violated, furious, jealous, provoked, hostile, infuriated, annoyed, withdrawn, numb, skeptical, dismissive. Uh, Also, you can have agitated, aggravated, contempt, cynical, disdain, disgruntled, disturbed, edgy, exasperated, frustrated, furious, grouchy, impatient, irate, moody, outraged, pissed, and vindictive. And these can be descriptors for you, but this, when we're talking about abuse, can also be descriptors and feelings uh, when you're dealing with the abuser in this situation, if you're describing them and, you know, what's coming off of them. But, you know, they're angry, but you as well are allowed to to be angry and to really... Um, you know, translate that to yourself and why those things, why you're angry and translate that to someone else and really get them to understand where it is coming from by describing your feelings. So we're going to go through a few right here, uh, quotes from, from survivors when it comes to anger. Nothing I did seemed to matter to my partner. Nothing was ever good enough. I was so frustrated. I did everything around the house. And after our child was born, that became double. I resented him, yet I was scared of him. I was frozen, yet I was burning. His face was so smug, so smug. It's like he was taunting me with his smirk. I just wanted to use one of those proto-packs from the Ghostbusters and supercharge that smirk right off his face into one of those ghost traps. And another way to describe you know, anger Uh, One quote here is, in front of other people, my ex would humiliate me with stories that I had told him in private about how I grew up. They were humiliating. They were stories for me to tell, not him. I felt so disrespected. I watched in horror, but was holding everything in. I was like a deer in headlights, but I really wanted to smash his car with my horns. So right again here, you know, just like in the last one, you know, we're talking here about humiliation, but we're also talking about having really to hold in your anger in a lot of ways. You know, sometimes people do, you know, get angry at their abuser and a lot of times that will come back double on them. And, and but for a lot of survivors, you know, you're, you're really in, in freeze mode. And in the last two quotes here, we're understanding here, like really the freeze mode when it comes to anger as a whole, that it's hard to get angry at the abuser because you don't want the repercussions that are coming, but you do have this anger that is inside you. And this one, it's created from this humiliation that's gone on and the feelings of disrespect that are actually happening. You're feeling disrespected and, you know, you have this visualization of what you want to do, but you're not acting upon it. And that, you know, creates a lot of built up anger and, um, you know, it grows and it grows and it's, you know, when we hear about health issues a lot, you know, a lot of that can become to not just the abuse you're going through, but the things that are being held in 
as well in affecting your health. But this is a good way to communicate to other people, you know, the anger that you're feeling, but at the same time, like how that has to be, you know, held held in uh, due to the possibility of being raged on uh, later on if you do do something about it. The next one quote that we have is, my ex told me that he did the laundry and then stated that someone needs to do the laundry around here. He hadn't done the laundry in 20 years. It was gaslighting. I tried to hold my anger in like I always did, but it was 20 years of held in anger sitting on a coil. And one day that coil was gonna spring loose and I just lost it. I threw my keys in their direction and I got called the crazy one. So right now we have like the feeling words here of the anger that has that has happened, the reasons why the anger has happened, and then kind of this description of the coil here and um, how the coil is this part that's inside them that has been holding things in for so long. And it, you know, it burst, the coil kind of broke and it just sprung you are using feeling words here, but you're also using visuals to help people see and feel how the anger and resentment can build and then explode. And people understand what happens to a coil when it gets wound up too tight. When it, you know, when it gets wound up too tight, we know that it can explode. You know, when it springs loose, you know, it can explode. And you yourself. You know, when it comes to anger, might think, you know, you're the bad person or that you're crazy, you know, when you're telling it to others, you know, using this visual of the coil helps people understand that it was a reactive defense response and that you aren't, you know, the crazy one here. And they can really feel and visualize, you know, what that means and 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 what reactive defense response can be and feel and 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 look like so up next we have disgusted or shame so under these feelings are disapproving disappointed awful repelled judgmental embarrassed appalled revolted nauseated detestable horrified hesitant ashamed uh, inhibited, mortified, self-conscious, useless, weak, worthless, defective, and as well humiliated. So the first quote that we have is, I felt I always needed to do better. I was put down my whole life and now I'm being put down again. My abuser just reinforced that I was useless. I was the problem. I needed to fix me to fix the relationship. I felt a deep pain when thinking about leaving. I'd be giving up on my abuser and I'd also be failing both of us. It hurt me that I'd hurt them, but it also hurt that I was defective and I couldn't do it. I felt like I couldn't get it right. And the next quote that we have is, uh, you're not happy, you feel awful, but you accept that that this is normal. You have no energy, no zest for life, When you try to compare yourself to your old self before getting into that relationship, you'll say that you're two different people. You can't imagine your future. You see a hazy gray image when you try to visualize it. 
You can't look at yourself in the mirror because you're ashamed. You isolate yourself from the people you know because you have nothing good to tell them and you want to keep all that dark stuff to yourself because you fear being judged as a failure because you know you're a failure. You feel trapped. You want a way out, but you don't know how and you're ashamed to ask help from others, uh, even from your own family. And when you hear stories of people in a loving relationship, you almost think that they are lies, that they just can't be true. And when someone shows you a simple gesture of kindness and care, and then you get confused and tears start rolling down your cheeks because you haven't felt that feeling for a long time, that it has almost become a strange thing to you now. So here is, you know, a lot of feeling words when it comes to shame, you know, embarrassment, you know, feeling awful, uh, a lot of shame going on in, in this quote right here. But you do get some nice feelings in here that help, you know, the kindness and you get descriptive, you know, body sensations uh, as well here. You know, and then you get, you know, a real visual of a tear rolling down a face, down the cheeks. You can kind of maybe feel that body sensation of how that must feel and the realization, you know, for this person right here that what they've been living in, they've been living in this abuse for so long and just one kind gesture, you know, brought in this body sensation and how alien that now must feel. Um, you know, because they're describing their old self and the, their new self here. So it's a really interesting way of using feelings here as well as visuals to really describe, you know, to yourself what you're dealing with, the two different, you know, use your old self and your new self, and to describe that to someone else, you know, especially this big difference of what kindness now feels like. And, and the body sensation that that gives you after being, being in abuse and dealing with abuse and dealing with shame of the situation for so long. And the next feeling word that we have is sad. And under sad, we have hurt, depressed, guilty, despair, vulnerable, lonely, disconnected. Uh, embarrassed can be in here, disappointed, inferior, empty, remorseful, ashamed, um, you know, grief, fragile, victimized, powerless can be in here, uh, abandoned, isolated as well. So the first one we have on our list as a quote is, each day a little piece of yourself gets chipped, cracked, twisted, and fractured until, you com- until you're completely broken. Your body is clinically alive, but uh, who you are on the inside is gone. You're numb. You're an autopilot, a walking ghost. Your real life feels more like a dull dream that you wish to wake up from, but you never hear your alarm going off. So here you have, you know, visuals, you have feeling words, you have body sensations, and it's the understanding that you're not just sad, but you've become really disconnected from things as well. Um, and it's really effective way to describe that to someone of like how disconnected you start to feel when self-esteem and all these things about yourself are just slowly being chipped away until you're not you anymore or not even connected to you anymore. And the next quote that we have here is because of the initial dopamine rush from the beginning, when it was taken away, I felt empty. When I was given it back, I felt replenished high 
I began to feel I had no identity and I thought I had to compromise and change things about me like my clothes, my personality, my activities, my lifestyle. So I changed because I felt empty without him and he'd keep me off balance when he wanted. So I was always walking on eggshells, going from highs to lows and and being on edge. I had no self anymore. So the thought of leaving him seemed impossible. I couldn't leave him without feeling like I was going to break down. I needed him. I felt like I was drowning in a deep hole. But at the same time, he made me happy. I felt stuck. I was confused. I was isolated and lonely. I felt like a prisoner who had their cell open, but there was something invisible stopping me from leaving. So again, here we have a lot of feeling words. We have body sensations that are that are in here as well, and a lot of uh, visuals to really help understand. And then the last one on our list is, I was completely isolated from my friends and family. Things were monitored. His friends were now my friends. When the push-pulls of the silent treatments would happen, I felt distraught. I was made to feel like I was the problem, even though deep down I knew I wasn't. I felt like I was in solitary confinement with no sunlight coming inside and no one coming to open my cell door. I'd cry to myself in the bathroom a lot. It felt like it was the safest place to do that. It was a lonely place to be. So here, you know, again, they're using a real, they're using a jail cell, a solitary confinement to describe what is going on. And instead of just the depressed feeling before, they're discussing like how, how lonely it is to be here. And you're getting a lot of uh, feeling words, you're getting body sensations, and you know, you're getting the, the visual here of the solitary uh, confinement and what it's like to be in that confinement. So um, very effective way to tell the story to yourself and to other people. So these are you know, the big six uh, categories when it comes to feelings and not the, they're not all the feelings categories. You know, there's the happy feeling categories that we did not cover today uh, for the most part. Um, but these are the ones that are usually the things that you're going to be describing to yourself or, you know, someone else to get support. And I hope you really enjoyed uh, this episode, understanding more about your feelings, um, how all these feelings can really help um tell your stories in, in a more effective way and to yourself and to others and using analogies as much as you can, using metaphors as much as you can. You know, these are all really effective ways to help tell the story to yourself and to other people to just create movement. And when it comes to this show, the best, you know, the more effective storytelling that we can have, the more we can use feelings, the more we can use body sensations, the more we can use metaphors, the more we can use analogies when, when telling stories, the more everyone who's listening can understand what they're going through. We're giving language to other people in the long run. You know, we're, we're helping everyone create language, create better storytelling, you know, to help really create movement. And I know I've said that a million times already, um, but I just kind of want to hammer that home. So 
Um, I really do hope that you enjoyed this episode. And if you want to be a guest on our Survivor Story episodes, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. At NarcissistApocalypse.com, you'll see that we have a button at the top of the page, and that button says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. There you can read all of our instructions, and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button, and please do send it in the format that we ask for. And also at our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com, we have our very own safe social network. It's our own support group. So if you need support, go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. Hit that support group button at the top of the page. There you'll see that we have a safe social network, that we have forum boards for you to post on to get the validation that you need from survivors just like you. You can make great friends on there. We have Zoom meetings every Wednesday nights, Thursday afternoons, and Saturday nights. It's a great group of people on there. So if you need support, join our support group today. And that is it for today's episode. And I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope you have a good night.